You're listening to the St. John's Diamond Creek Podcast. from Luke chapter 19 verse 11 and can be found on the Pew Pew Bibles on page 852. While they were listening to this, he went on to tell them a parable because he was near Jerusalem and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. He said, A man of noble worth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then return. So he called ten of his servants and gave him ten miners. Put this money to work, he said, until I come back. But but his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, We don't want this man to be our king. He was made king, however, and returned home. Then he sent for his servants to whom he had given the money in order to find out what they had gained with it. The first one came and said, Sir, your miner has earned ten more. Well done, my good servant, his master replied. Because you have been trustworthy in a ver- in a small, very small matter, take charge of ten cities. The second came and said, Sir, your miner has earned five more. His master answered, You take charge of five cities. Then another servant came and said, Sir, here is your miner. I have kept it laid, laid away in a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you because you are a hard man and you take what you did not put in and reap and reap what you have not sown. His master replied, I will judge you by your words, own words. You are wicked servant. You knew, did you, did you that I am a hard man taking out what I did not put in and reaping what I did not sow? Why didn't you put my money in on deposit so that when I come back I could have collected it with interest? Then he said to those standing by, Take his miner away from him and give it to one of the one who has ten miners. Sir, they said, he already has ten. He replied, I will tell you that I tell you to that to everyone who has, more will be given. But as for the one who was, who had nothing, even what they have will be taken away. But those enemies of mine did not want me to be king over them. Bring them here and kill them in front of me. Um, before we uh, just move to our sermon, I just want to draw your attention to the show bag. I hope everyone got a show bag when they came in. There's some more at the door there if you missed out. 
If you have a look in here, you'll find some very interesting things to read, not during the sermon, I should hasten to add. Um, here's our little magazine called The Real Australian, what God's doing around the nation. And then there's a really, uh, this is a copy of our prayer notes. This is the most important thing for us. This is what that keeps us going. I'm on day 13, and on day 13, always particularly marvellous answers to prayers happen in my life. It's amazing. And you can just sense that uh, God's um, work. Um, we've been encouraging people in Victoria to pray for regional Victoria. And I've written prayer notes for each of the regional shires in Victoria. There's 48 of them, and I've just given you one randomly. This is the Shire of Mundidi, which is up near Lake Yildon. Uh, yay, and um, uh, Alexandra. Many Victorians have a link to country Victoria in some way. You know, maybe you were born in the country, maybe you go on holidays there, maybe you have a property there, or maybe your people came from there. My own people came from up near uh, Rainbow and um, Talbot and um, Maryborough. So I've been praying for those parts of the world. As you go out, on the right there's a little table there, and there's copies of each one's there if you'd like to get one for an area. And to, we've been encouraging people to sort of take on uh, another part of the world in Victoria to pray for. And if you dig deep, you'll find a cool little eucalyptus pencil. I tried not to put these in for a little while, save us a bit of money, and everyone kept saying, where's the pencils gone? So uh, they had to come back. On that, there's a card if you'd like to be on our mailing list, either to get things by the mail or to get things by the email. Just fill out that card and put it in the donation box, which is also on the table. There's also a couple of... Um, Books there, we produced a, a coffee table sort of book to give a sort of thematic view of what happened over 100 years. There's lots of stuff that's not in it, but there's, it's very interesting. And then there was also, we republished a book by Leon Morris about his time in, on the Air Peninsula. So you might like to have a look at those. Well, as we turn now to our uh, passage, uh, can you just put the passage up on the... Um, is it easy to put it up on the screen again? Good on you. You might want to get the, the, the passage for us... Um, uh, in your, look up page 852 in the Pew Bibles, Luke 19. It's a much more complicated parable than I spoke about this morning, and I presumed that the night service guys were more intelligent than the morning ones. And so with this morning, they had a very easy sermon. This is a much more meatier sermon. So I'm going to ask you to bear with me, and, to, and we'll pray now that God will actually really help us to understand it. This is actually a, a, a really complicated parable that Jesus taught. It's actually one of his last parables. It might be his last parable, just as he was about to enter Jerusalem. Shall we pray? Dear Heavenly Fathers, we come before you tonight. We thank you so much that you speak to us through your word. And we pray that you'd help us to understand your word. Give us, help me to be clear in explaining it. And please give each one of us the ability to understand it and to respond in a way that pleases you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I mentioned, this parable is very challenging and it's also remarkably uh, relevant. Here we have a nobleman who's about to go off to a distant country to get uh, crowned. Now, that may seem an odd concept to us today, but it wasn't odd to Jesus' listeners. Leaders often went off to the capital of the empire to uh, receive their papers and to be crowned. Uh, for those of us who can remember, even back in Cologne, in, um, uh, when, when I was a kid, let's say, People, if they were going to become a sir or a dame, would go to England and the queen would knight them. Um, so if you're going to be knighted, you went off to England to be crowned, so to speak, by the queen. 
Now, before this nobleman in our, parable, in our parable departs, though, he gathers together ten of his servants, and he gives to each of them a mina to invest till his return. Now, a mina was worth about 100 days' wages. So let's say the average person in Australia might earn, say, $200 a day. We're talking here about a sum of $20,000. Not an insubstantial sum, not a massive sum, but quite a, 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 quite a, a very substantial sum, about $20,000. Now, unfortunately, some people didn't like this guy, this nobleman, and so they sent a delegation after him to uh, try to persuade the authorities not to make him king. But despite the delegation, he was made king and he returns. And on his return, he sends for the servants to find out what they'd gained with their mina. And the first one arrives and says, Sir, your mina has earned ten more. Well done, my good servant, the master replies. Because you've been trustworthy in a very small matter, take charge of ten cities. Wow. It's interesting, isn't it, that he says $20,000 is a very small matter. That's actually a, a hint for us, a marker, a clue to the size of the responsibilities to come. A second servant comes and says, Sir, your mina has earned five more. And the master answers, you take charge of five cities. A third servant arrives and this servant brings out the mina he was given. Sir, here's your mina. I've kept it hidden away in a cloth. What? The master is not pleased. You wicked servant, he says. And turning to those nearby, he says, take his mina away from him and give it to the one who has ten minas. But he already has ten, they say. I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given but as for the one who has nothing, even what he has will be taken away. Gee, that's a bit rough, isn't it? I mean, at least the servant had minded it for him. And to take it away and give it to the other bloke, who's actually not got ten, he's actually got the ten he earned, but the, the original one, he's actually got eleven. That seems pretty unfair. And what's more, he's in charge of ten cities. I mean, have you ever seen how much those guys in charge of a, a city get earned? You see their ads sometimes in the newspapers. They, their salaries are humongous. And this guy's in charge of ten of them. That sounds like taxing the poor to give to the rich. And look at this nobleman who's now the king. He sure does reap what he doesn't sow. Just as the last servant said, he doesn't do anything. He just goes away and then comes back expecting his money to be, uh, expecting to have handsome profits from his money. And then to cap it all off, he says, bring those people who oppose my coronation here, in front of him. Slay them before my very eyes. Phew, this guy's tough. Well, we're a little removed from long-distance coronations and summary executions here in Australia, so we're going to need to think this parable through carefully. And the first thing I'd like to draw our attention to is, did you notice the nobleman's original words to the servants? They were a command, weren't they? Put this money to work. The second thing I'd like you to notice is the promise until I come back. Now, interestingly, there's no mention of reward, and of course there's no mention of reward, because this is actually their job, their duty. These servants of the master were, were actually probably even slaves, at least they were stewards, and of course they should just simply do what the master commands. Now, the first 
two servants plainly obey the master, but not the third servant. He clearly disobeys the master, doesn't he? Rather than putting the money to work, he puts it to sleep by wrapping it up nice and cosily in his bandana. Now, why would someone do that? Did he just never get around to it? Like some people who seem to be always busy but never have anything to show? Does he just not think about his master's return? You know, he's been away a long time now, he's never going to come back. But the master does return. And what does the third servant say about his lack of action? I was afraid of you, he says, because you're a hard man. You take out what you didn't put in and reap what you didn't sow. Actually, if you ask me, this bloke's having a go at his master. Don't forget he's a servant, a slave even. For some reason, he's angry with his master, bitter, and he sure makes assumptions about what the master's been doing while he's away. He wants life on his own terms, this servant, doesn't he? Not his master's terms. Hey, if you want to make money, mate, you can make it yourself. But now the boss is back. And what does the boss say? Well, if that's uh, how you want it, I'll judge you by your own words. That is on your own terms. Why didn't you at least put the money on deposit at the bank? At least I could have earned some interest and certainly the money would have been safer. You wouldn't have had to lift a finger. But you haven't even done that. You haven't even kept the money somewhere safe. Well, you've mucked around at my expense all the time that I've been gone. You wicked, unfaithful servant. And this servant is left with nothing. An empty old sweat rag. Well, let me ask you this. Is there really anything to suggest that this nobleman is a tyrant? I mean, whose money was it in the first place? As servants, these men would have been living off the master's property. They would have been eating his food, his sheep, staying on his property while he was away. Now, we're not told why some of his subjects didn't like him and didn't want it to be him to be king. But plenty of people often have it in for someone and don't want him to be king because it upsets their own agendas, it upsets their own little power bases, doesn't it? And frankly, that's our problem if we're honest. We're always looking at it from our point of view. We want to be in charge. <laughs> we don't like accountability. And if we're very honest as egalitarian Aussies, we kind of identify with this third servant, don't we? And his treatment sort of rankles us. But let's step back a bit and try and look at the parable a bit more objectively to find out what this nobleman's really like. Let's not judge him what others say, but let's act, judge him on what he actually does. And do you notice how the nobleman acts very consistently and very sensibly? He wants his estate well managed. And no doubt, him giving to each of his servants, Amina, is a little test for what he'll give them after he comes back as king. It's a foretaste, isn't it? How will they go with it? The man who made 10 meters is obviously a very good manager. He's multiplied his master's worth a thousand percent, so he gets 10 cities to look after. The man who's made five meters is also a good manager, not as good as the first one, but still a good one, so he gets five cities to look after. So it actually makes eminent sense to give the third bloke's mina to the first servant because the first servant's proved his worth and he'll obviously use it best. In fact, when you think about it, it'd be wrong not to give it to him. You see, what this nobleman's on about is the growth of his property, the growth of his kingdom 
and it's good management. And the nobleman's actually entirely consistent. He gives a command, which he expects his servants to keep, and in turn, he keeps his promises. He manages his, his estate entirely responsibly, in a model way, first of all, testing his servants' abilities and their commitment, and then delegating according to that commitment and those abilities. He doesn't waste money sending good after bad. He's looking for growth while he's away. And when he returns, he roots out opposition. In fact, he's actually acting exactly as a king should. He's thoroughly competent, thoroughly wise, thoroughly consistent and thoroughly just. And that's why he's been crowned. Now, did you notice why Jesus told this parable? In verse 11 there. Because he was near Jerusalem and because the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. Now, Jesus has been traveling for some time now towards Jerusalem, his final journey. And uh, Jerusalem was the covenantal center of uh, God's rule on earth. And one can easily understand these people who thought that the kingdom of God was about to appear in glory right then and there. When you think of all the miracles they've seen at Jesus' behest. Whoa, 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 hold your horses. Not yet. Indeed, I am coming to my kingdom, but I'm not yet king. In fact, the kingdom will be a little while coming. And that's why I'm telling you this parable. Because I have yet to go off to a distant country to be made king. And there'll be some who oppose my coronation. Now, we know in hindsight that that coronation was not like any other coronation. This coronation is no earthly coronation with uh, champagne and Skittles, whatever, caviar, caviar. This coronation is going to be tough. It's going to be a bloody coronation. A coronation through fire and death. And while I'm away, here's Amina. Put it to work. What are you going to do with it? Wrap it up in a handkerchief? And presume I won't be back? Or are you going to trust me? Trust me when I say I will be back. You see, one of the reasons I'm giving you this, Mina, is so that you won't forget me. It's mine, all right. And when you wake up each morning, I want you to say, how can I increase my Lord's Mina? Oh, I long for him to be back soon. Thy kingdom come. And I do want to give him something when he returns. Help me, Lord, to use all that I've got to increase your realm, your property, your kingdom. You see, to, friends, to, use, to, to put it boldly, use it or lose it. Whoever can be trusted with very little can be trusted with much. And whoever's dishonest with very little will be dishonest with very much. So if you haven't been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who's going to trust you with true riches? And if you've not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who'll give you property of your own. You see, what did the first two servants do that the third servant didn't? They obeyed and they waited expectantly. They believed. They took their master at their word that he'd be back. Something the third servant didn't want to believe. If he really believed it, he would have acted on it. So the first two servants were ready, ready when their master returned. Because while they were waiting, they got to work and they took risks with their master's money. And all that he'd entrusted to him. Because by extension, the parable is not just about money, but it's about everything that the Lord gives to us. 
entrust to us our gifts, our training, whatever. And I want to ask you this. How much risk-taking have you done lately with all that the Lord's given you? How much stepping out in faith? Use it or lose it? And what's the master's money to be used for anyway? I don't know if you noticed or not, but this passage comes, as I mentioned before, as the Lord's about to enter Jerusalem. But where's he come from? He's come from the house of Zacchaeus. You remember that little bloke who couldn't even see Jesus, that despised um, tax collector, who immediately recognised Jesus when he came to town and who welcomed Jesus, who was lost and was now found. Because that's what Jesus came to do, to seek and to save what was lost. And that's the work Jesus is giving to his disciples now, right from the beginning. Do you remember when he, what he says to Peter, James and John when he first meets them, calls them to be his disciples? Remember they catch that big... Um, Catch a fish when he first calls them. Don't be afraid, he says to them. From now on, you're going to catch people. And while Jesus is reminding his disciples that that's his mission, to seek and to save the lost, he goes on then to tell this parable about himself because he is the nobleman about to be crowned. And we are the servants with the meaner. So how does the master want is being used to seek and to save the lost, to grow his kingdom. That's how we'll multiply our meaners. He wants us to use his money, all he's given us, to seek and to save what was lost. Is that what you're on about? I mean, when those people started BCA 100 years ago in 1919, they wanted to take the good news of the gospel to the, every part of Australia. Their motto was, where the railway ended, we start. And they did it because they believed that people were lost. I first of all went into ministry because I realised that I'd been lost before I became a Christian and I realised that people were lost until they actually heard the good news of the gospel. And those original um, initiators of BCA put everything they had at their disposal to the task of reaching every Australian for Christ. Whether or not they were at the end of a dusty road, a soldier settler's block or working on a railway line in the middle of the desert. And we still have plenty of opportunities, more than ever today, both through BCA and actually just in Australia at the moment. As I look back over my own Christian walk, I can see times when I have actually risked and God has wonderfully rewarded but I can also see times when I've been clingy with what I thought was mine, <laughs> how pathetic, when I haven't trusted and I've held on to what I thought was mine. <coughs> Friends, the first listeners to this parable sensed that they were at the beginning of a new kingdom, which their great Jesus was about to which their great teacher Jesus was about to inaugurate. And his death and resurrection did begin that inauguration. But who except the Father knows the day or the hour when he'll return in all his glory? He may be coming soon, or as Tim said, he may be coming after another hundred years. What we do know is this, he'll be back. He'll be back. And he'll be back as king. He'll be back as king. And everyone who has ever lived 
will see him as their king, whether they welcome him or not. So get on the right side of him while you have the chance. Don't waste your mina. Use everything he's given you to grow his kingdom. Use it or lose it to seek and to save. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, as we come before you, we are challenged by the gravity of this parable. We know you are returning and we know that you'll return in judgment. We thank you so much for your death on the cross and we thank you so much that we can hide in you who, have taken, who has taken all our sin and actually be counted as righteous before you. We long, Heavenly Father, for many people to hear that good news and to have the hope that we have. Please give us wisdom to know how we can use your, all that you've given us, our money, our time, our energy, our relationships, our training, to grow your kingdom so that when you do return, we won't be embarrassed, but rather we'll have much to present to you out of our fruitfulness. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to subscribe to this podcast, you can do so in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Just search for St. John's Diamond Creek. If you have any questions about this podcast, send us an email, questions at stjohnsdc.org.au. 